In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. May it increase our desire for you in the Scripture and in the sacrament. Amen. Bones are coming to life in our first reading this weekend. It's the prophet Ezekiel's vision of the Valley of Dry Bones. If you're hoping to hear the vision itself when you're at Mass, you'll be a bit bummed out that our excerpt doesn't include it. But as a refresher of the vision, Ezekiel is transported to a big valley full of bones. He's told to prophesy to the bones, which is comical in a way because bones don't have ears. But when he does so, the bones shake, rattle, and not roll, but come back to life. The bones connect, flesh reappears, and eventually standing before Ezekiel is a vast army. After this happens, God speaks to Ezekiel to explain the vision. Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. They are saying, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, and we are cut off. Recall that Ezekiel was living in the time when some of the Israelites had been exiled to Babylon. Separated from their homeland, they probably thought themselves as good as dead. They were no more alive than a valley of soldiers' bones. But Ezekiel's vision is meant to instill confidence in these as-good-as-dead Israelites in exile. If God can bring to life an entire valley of bones, so too can he bring them out of exile and back to life in the Promised Land. The second reading at Mass this weekend is commonly misunderstood. Taken from the 8th chapter of St. Paul's letter to the Romans, it presents a contrast between those who are in the flesh and those who are in the spirit. It can be very common to picture this difference in terms of location, that is, am I living in my body or in my spirit? Of course, to make this distinction and thus disregard anything associated with my body as bad is silly and also impossible, for we have no way of continuing to live while not being in the flesh of our bodies. Rather, what might help is if we think of Paul's words as those who live according to the flesh and those who live according to the Spirit. Those who are in the flesh, who live according to the flesh, cannot please God, St. Paul says. In essence, he's asking this, what's the motivation behind your decisions? Are you acting in a way that pursues things of the flesh, and he provides lists of these things elsewhere in his letters, or are you motivated by the things of God, the things of the Spirit? We've had two lengthy gospel passages in the past two weeks, and this weekend we round it out with another long story. The raising of Lazarus from the dead is found in St. John's 11th chapter, and it begins by Martha and Mary sending word to Jesus that Lazarus is ill. Curiously enough, we're told that Jesus remains in the place where he was for two days before resolving to go to Bethany to attend to Lazarus. It seems quite strange for Jesus not to pack up his things and immediately get on the move, but the explanation for this delay arrives a bit later in the story. In the meantime, when Jesus does finally resolve to get a move on, Thomas says, let us also go to die with him. This could be read in one of two ways. For one, it could be a pious injunction from Thomas who demonstrates his fervor and willingness to die with Jesus. But much more likely, it's meant to be read almost in a sarcastic tone, something like, Oh yeah, sure, let's all go to Bethany to die with Jesus. After all, the character of St. Thomas appears after the resurrection as one who is a bit pessimistic and slow to believe. When Jesus arrives, we're told that Lazarus was already dead for four days. This is an important detail because a common Jewish belief at the time was that, at the moment of death, a person's soul then hovered over his or her body for three days. 
On the fourth day, it was believed that the soul departed from the area of the body and went away because this former body's face was no longer recognizable. Day four after someone's death was when someone could really be declared dead, and that's when Jesus arrives, making sense of why he waited two days to get a move on. In this way, Lazarus is really, really dead, and that makes his miraculous raising from the dead all the more glorious. It puts better context into Jesus' words about how this illness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God. To raise Lazarus after two days would have been glorious, but to raise him after four days is all the more impressive and brings greater glory to God. Before he raises him, though, Jesus has a conversation with Martha about Lazarus' death. Some scholars claim that Martha's conversation with Jesus shows that she trusts in Jesus' immediate power to raise Lazarus from the dead, but verse 39 in the story shows otherwise. There, Martha protests against opening the tomb because there will be a stench. But if Martha truly believed that Jesus was resurrecting Lazarus right then and there, then she wouldn't be worried about the stench. What's much more likely is that Martha did have a belief in Jesus' power of resurrection, but that it would occur some time off in the future on the last day, as she herself says. As we've mentioned plenty of times before, a good percentage of Jews in the time of Jesus actually did hold belief in some sort of resurrection of the dead. Martha just likely didn't expect it to happen at that moment. Lastly, the most difficult part of this story is verse 33, when we're told that Jesus becomes perturbed and deeply troubled. These are softer verbs than what the original Greek connotes, which describes something like an outburst of anger and a being agitated and troubled. Some say that Jesus becomes perturbed and deeply troubled at seeing the ravages of sin take hold of his friend. But more likely, Jesus becomes perturbed and deeply troubled when seeing the reaction of the mourners grieving over Lazarus. Listen to the verse in its entirety to see what I mean. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he became perturbed and deeply troubled. Jesus' anger is at those who are mourning Lazarus' death as if they had no hope, to borrow a quote from St. Paul. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this fifth Sunday in Lent in year A. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.